number three. <laughs> You've got me. Uh, hi, my name's Ross Montgomery. Uh, I'm an author. I write books for living. People pay me to write them. Uh, what I've done for the last few minutes, which is very clever, is I've made sure that my books are actually on the screen, so you know which ones I've written. Uh, I did also used to be an ICT teacher, so I've also animated them. <laughs> uh, to explain about my books, um, I like to write funny books, that's really important to me. Uh, when I was your age, a book would make me laugh, and that would always hook me completely. Um, but I don't just want to make books that are funny, uh, I also want to make books that are really exciting and unexpected, so all the things that you don't see coming. And I think for me the most important thing when I write a book is that uh, I want to write something that will make people think. My favourite kind of books are the ones where you read the last word on the last page and you close it and you go... Wow! <laughs> that was amazing! I've never thought of that very relevant for the book that I'm talking about today. It is this one, Max and the Millions. Uh, I really love this front cover because it has a giant eye on it, uh, but it also has a giant eye on the back. And that means that when you're reading it, you kind of look like no! <laughs> And I don't know reads books like this, but it's really funny. Uh, when it came out in America, it actually had a different front cover. The American front cover looks like this. Um, now you've probably noticed, it's a different front cover, but it's actually the same illustration. The way that it worked is that my illustrator, David Litchfield, did the American front cover first. And then when they brought it out over here, they thought, well, hang on, why don't we just zoom into this bit of his face? Crop out everything else. And then all we have to do is take this little person in, and just whack him in here. Um, it's the exact same drawing, they've just changed it to make it look completely different. And I think that's really cool. But it's also very relevant to this book, because Maximilians is really a story about what happens to the world when you start looking at it in a different way, and how it changes. Um, there is one thing I really do like about the American front cover, and that is that you can actually see the main character, Max, a little bit better. This is Max. Uh, he goes to a boarding school, uh, and when the story begins, he is very lonely. He feels very isolated. And there's lots of reasons for that, but uh, one of them, you may have noticed from looking at the front cover, is that Max wears hearing aids. Uh, Max lost his hearing when he was four years old, he's severely deaf. Uh, he's the only child in his school who wears hearing aids. Um, and everybody at Max's school is very nice to him. Uh, everybody is polite, nobody's mean to him. But even so, Max feels like there are lots of things that people don't really understand about what he has to do just to join in. Uh, to give you one example, if Max needs to join in a conversation or listen in class, then he has to lip read. And there's a mistake that people make with lip reading. They think that if you know how to lip read, it's a bit like listening to someone talk, but you just hear their voice in your head. But lip reading is way more difficult. Even if you are good at lip reading, it's always hard. If you think about words like the word bear and the word hair, they mean totally different things, but your lips make the exact same movement when you say them. So a lot of lip reading is guessing what people will have said. And that one's easy, because nobody's ever going to say, I am hungry, I will eat a delicious juicy bear. So you're worse than just that one. 
But if you were reading me now, there'd be certain points where what I would be saying would be really easy to decode and work out. So then there'd be other times when... It's much more difficult. And even then, there will have been words where you went, well, that was that word, and that was that word. And we're talking about lip reading, so that, that bit would have been lip reading. But then if I suddenly started mumbling, or if I changed topic, or if I covered up my mouth while I was talking, which people do, maybe gesturing, or, and this is the most common of all, people start talking. <laughs> if you were lip reading, would you be able to understand the word I'm saying right now? No! Absolutely not! Because it's something that people do. If you can hear words, it doesn't matter which direction you're facing or if you're looking at your feet. But people who literally need to see your face front on the entire time, otherwise they can't understand. And people in Max's school just do not understand that. It means that he feels really cut off from everyone around him. Um, he doesn't really have any friends. He does have one friend, uh, a school caretaker, a man called Mr. Darrow. Mr. Darrow is the worst caretaker in the history of the world. He is terrible at his job. Uh, but he has a secret talent that nobody really knows apart from Max. Uh, Mr. Darrow is an incredible model maker. He's one of the best in the world. He makes tiny, perfect, intricate, handmade models. He can make a perfect model of Big Ben that would sit on a little finger. And Max worships it. He thinks the fact that he knew that is incredible. So he decides to be just like him. He spends all year making his own model. He makes a tiny model castle. Uh, and it's amazing. It's got rooms on the inside and spiral staircases and doors that open and close. And his plan is he's going to work on it all year, get it perfect. And then on the last day of term, he's going to give it to Mr. Darren. It's going to be his way of saying, look, I made this. You're my hero. But then on the very last day of term, without any warning, Mr. Darrow disappears. Nobody has any idea where he's gone. He didn't tell Max that he was leaving or say goodbye. And Max is devastated because he's lost his only real friend. But he's also lost his hero. And because Max is so upset, he does something that he should not do. Uh, he breaks into Mr. Darrow's bedroom at school. And he takes the tiny castle with him, and he leaves it in the middle of Mr. Darrow's bedroom floor. Plans. If Mr. Darrow comes back, then the first thing he's going to see when he opens his bedroom door and steps inside will be this castle that Max has left him. And he'll understand that when he went missing, Max came to find him. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you the next chapter. Uh, it's a very short chapter. It's eight weeks later. The summer holidays are over. Boom. And Max decides to break back into Mr. Darrow's bedroom. Because he wants to find out, well, what's happened? Did Mr. Darrow come back while I was away? Did he find the castle? Has he left me a message? And here's what he finds. Max opened the door and stepped inside. He was speechless. 
the first thing he noticed was that Mr. Darrow's bedroom had changed. Lots of things were still the same. The light was still on, the bed was still unmade, but the entire floor was covered in sand. It didn't make any sense. When Max had left at the beginning of the summer holidays, the only thing on the floor had been the castle, and that would... Max stopped. He'd just seen the castle. There was a flag sticking out of it. The flag was tiny. No big on a stamp. But it hadn't been there before. And that wasn't the only thing that had changed about the castle now. Now it had wooden walls built around it, with gates and guard posts and watchtowers. And inside the walls, that's his breath caught in his throat. The castle was surrounded by hundreds of miniature wooden huts. Thousands, in fact. <coughs> the huts had doorways and windows and roofs made of microscopic palm leaves and chimneys with actual smoke coming out of them. Max could even see furniture and fireplaces and unmade beds through each and every minuscule hand-carved window. And standing in the street, staring up at him, were thousands upon thousands of tiny blue-haired people. Max laughed in disbelief. The people were no bigger than ants, but there was every kind of person you can imagine. Young people and old people and dukes and duchesses and babies and beggars, all staring back up. And the people were so realistic that Max could swear some of them actually looked <coughs> like they were pointing back up. Mr. Darrow would come back and it turned Max's castle into a kingdom. It was the most incredible model that Max had ever seen in his life. And who else but Mr. Darrow could have made it? Who else could have created an entire handmade city filled with thousands of handmade people who really did look like they were pointing and screaming and running away? <laughs> Max rubbed his eyes and blinked a few times and looked back down. He <coughs> wasn't imagining it. This wasn't like the time he accidentally inhaled too many morning and glue fumes and thought the bedroom ceiling was made of toast. The tiny people were running away. All of them. It happened in the blink of an eye, like watching a sped up film. The tiny people scattered through the city at super-fast speed, making whisper, quiet, squeaks of terror. Max could see parents putting their children inside huts and sliding <coughs> doors, and soldiers leaping onto the backs of fleas and riding away, and crowds pouring down the side streets, like trickles of bright blue rainwater. This wasn't a model. These weren't handmade people. 
They were all alive. And that's when Max saw a tiny movement in the sand in front of him. It was a boy. He was standing on his own outside the kingdom, just in front of Max's right foot. If Max had moved another centimetre forwards, it would crush the boy like a bug without even realising it. The boy had bright blue hair and bright blue eyes and bright blue robes and far too big then. And balanced on his head was a tiny wooden crown. This is an important moment in the book, because it's the moment where we meet the other main character. It turns out that the castle Max left in Mr. Gary's bedroom has, over the summer, become inhabited by thousands of tiny blue-haired people the size of Alex. And their leader is this guy, Prince Luke of the Blues. And what happens at this point is the book splits into two. Uh, you get chapters written from Max's point of view. Uh, Max has now discovered thousands of tiny blue-haired people living on bedroom floor, and he realises, well, I, I have to look after them now. I, I have to be in charge of them. I have to make sure they're still here when Mr. Darrow gets back. I have to make sure my evil headmaster doesn't find out about them. But then you also get chapters that are written from Prince Luke of the Blues' point of view. Uh, Prince Luke of the Blues is the size of an ant. He and his people have always lived in Mr. Darrow's bedroom. They think Mr. Darrow's bedroom is the entire world. They don't think there's anything outside of it. And now, there's a giant boy walking around, stepping on stuff. And the rest of the book is really a race against time for these two characters to find a way of working together and communicating with each other, even though they're totally different. Because if they don't, then Luke's entire world will be destroyed. Now, for me as a writer, the really fun bit about writing this book, but also the challenging bit, was writing from the point of view of Prince Luke of the Blues, because he is the size of an ant, and I'm not. And so, what I did to help you, and it's going to sound stupid, but this does work, it's going to help you in a moment when you come up with your own writing, is I would imagine that I was holding an ant-sized person in my hand. You know that? Because I've held an ant before, I know what an ant in my hand looks like. And if I couldn't quite visualise it, I sort of thought, um, it's about the same size as a grain of rice. So I can imagine that. But sometimes I'd cheat, I'd get a grain of rice, put it in my hand, and go, okay, that's how big my person is. I can imagine a person of that size waving at me. Hello. <laughs> and so what I did next, again, this sounds stupid, but this works. I took my imaginary ant rice person and I put them on my bedroom floor, because this takes place in a bedroom. And then that meant, even though that person is imaginary, when I then stood up, and took a few steps away. I still had a picture in my mind's eye of what that person would look like on a carpet. And I sort of got an idea of how big the room would look like compared. So I thought, uh, okay, there's Prince Luke. He is in a bedroom. <coughs> what can he see? And I thought, well, a bed, obviously. This is bedroom. Um, now my bed is about, I'd say, it's probably about as tall as one of these wooden tables, just about, maybe a little bit less tall. I imagine if you took one of these tables and you put maybe six of them together in a rectangle, that's about the right size, it's a double bed. And I thought, well, when that ant-sized person looks at six of these, they're not going to go, 
Oh my goodness! It is a very big bed! They don't think it's something totally different, because it's huge from there. I mean, this, to an ant-sized person, is more like a mountain. And I thought, yeah. The Blues think that Mr. Darrow's bed is a mountain. And actually that works, because I've decided that Mr. Darrow is going to be like a really scruffy, untidy person. Uh, he'd never make his bed. And there's that thing where, instead of making your bed, you sort of pick up your duvet. And you throw it at a bed, because he can't be bothered to make it. And when it lands, it kind of forms, like it piles up, to almost make like the peaks on mountain range. Because real mountains very rarely look like that. Usually they look like they're kind of piled up and spreading, and there'll be one point that's the highest. And I thought, well, yeah, that's perfect. Uh, the blues think that Mr. Darrow's bed is a mountain. And then I thought, well, there's the bit under the bed. And underneath the bed, it's always dark, and it's always dirty, no matter how often you clean it. Uh, I have a pet cat. His name is Fun Bobby. Uh, that is where all of Fun Bobby's fur just gets sucked like a magnet. And I go, how do you have so much fur? And I thought, what if there's another tribe that lives under the bed? <coughs> the red-haired tribe. And they don't like the blue-haired tribe, because the blue-haired tribe live in a castle. They're posh. And they'd be like, oh, those blues! Oh, they think they're so good, we hate them. And the blues would go, oh, the reds, they live under a bed, gross. Um, and I thought that makes it much more interesting, because rather than Max turns up and there's just some people sitting there like they're waiting for him, what if he turns up and there's two tribes that are already kind of at loggerheads with each other? It makes it much more interesting, kind of like a, you know, I was trying to make a real world. And then I thought, well if I'm making this a real world, and I've got thousands of people living in this room, what are they going to eat? And I spent ages on this problem. <coughs> I could not work out how they would have any food. And I even got to a bit where I considered cheating. <laughs> I considered saying, the tiny people are magic and never need to eat food. <laughs> um, and I can do that because it's my book and I can, I can write what I wanted. But I thought, I don't think the reader's going to feel that's cheating. You know, I'm already asking them to imagine these tiny people exist, just some, something they make up they don't need to eat feels a bit rubbish. And then I realised the answer was staring at me in the face the entire time. I had already decided that Mr. Darrow was untidy and filthy. He will have a bin in his room, and it's never emptied. It will be filled with rotten fruit, and sandwiches that have turned black, and tins of baked beans with one bean at the bottom that's grown hair. Oh. Yeah, gross. And I thought, what if there's another tribe in the bin? They've turned the bin into a city that I ride around on maggots and stuff. And they control the only food in the bedroom. And if they control the only food, that means that that tribe could make the reds and the blues do whatever they wanted. Because if they didn't, then they just wouldn't give them any food and they'd starve. I thought, yeah, they could be the evil tribe, the green-haired tribe, 
And up we've got like green, blue, red people. <laughs> uh, led by the evil Beam King. And then I thought, well, what if when Max turns up, these three tribes have just declared war with each other? <coughs> Things are already dramatic, they're already tense, there's already problems, and then a giant turns up, and it becomes chaos. And at that point, when I've made those decisions, everything else got easy. If we've got three tribes fighting, and they're kind of like fantasy people, you know, kings and queens living in castles, they're going to fight on horses. <coughs> but they're not going to fight on horses because they're the size of ants. They fight on fleas. This is Luke's pet flea, who is called Excelsior. So I thought it was like a really good fancy name for a flea. Uh, and when they fight, they're not going to make their own weapons out of metal. They're going to use what they can find. I thought maybe when the green tribe, who live in the bin, fight, they found an old toothbrush with Mr. Darrow's and they pull the bristles out, and each one uses a bristle as a spear. <laughs> and really, all I was doing was I was thinking about stuff that we see every single day, and we don't think is very interesting. But then trying to reimagine it from the point of view of someone that small completely changes um, Which is what you're going to do now. Uh, I would like you to imagine that you are Prince Luke of the Blues. You are the size of an ant. Holding your hand! Ant-sized person. That's how big you are. Wave at him. I love making people do that. It's brilliant. You are going to do something that no one in the history of the floor has ever done. You're going to leave the bedroom. It's unthinkable. You're going to see things that no one in your tribe has ever seen before. You're going to see things that you couldn't possibly begin to imagine. A toaster. <laughs> it's going it's to blow your mind! Think about it, ant person in one hand, toaster in another, he's not going to look at it and go, oh my god, it's a toaster. <laughs> he's going to think it's something totally different. He has no idea what it does, it's huge, it's confusing. Have a chat to each other, 30 seconds, what could he think it is? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, that's how it's what we to do. 
people always do, they come up with ideas and they go, oh, I don't know why I chose that. But it's because that internally you know that that makes sense. If you think about it, uh, I mean, a volcano is a hill that hot stuff comes out of. This thing, to him, is like a hill, but hot stuff comes out of it, so volcano yeah. makes sense. So it's not, you haven't just picked that out of nowhere, you haven't gone, oh, maybe he thinks it's like a dog. <laughs> You've obviously thought about it, oh, that all makes sense. And being able to notice that is a really useful skill. Um, something, uh, we can't say, I found a volcano, so let me give you some good describing words. A something, something volcano. Kind of like we say, huge metal lantern castle. Yes? Well, probably the chest Brown, red, so it be like, um, rocky. Oh, uh, rocky. Um, oh, actually, think about it. Toasters are normally very smooth, aren't they? So actually, volcanoes are rocky, but this is different. That's kind of, um, yeah, like a smooth volcano. Uh, and maybe a, a big, smooth volcano? Or have you got a better word than that? Gigantic. A gigantic smooth volcano. <laughs> I did say we're going to make three suggestions, but actually we talked about these for a little bit and we're running out of time. So, hands down. <laughs> Prince Luke's Exploration Diary. Day one. Right, let's see if we can do this. Uh, what do we see? What's the easiest way to do this? Edit text. I, I found a, is it gigantic? Yeah. yeah. Gigantic, smooth, okay. <laughs> uh, if this was the end of our diary entry, you'd feel a bit short-changed. You'd kind of want him to talk about it a bit more. But I mean, if that was your diary, like, oh, I found a volcano. <laughs> I guess so much more looking up. So obviously, uh, I want to find out what happens next. I think an outside person discovering a toaster, there's a lot that we can do with that. Um, however, uh, my editor's hat is going on. Somebody explain what an editor is, what is their job. Let's go with somebody else. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they'll look over at something, they'll correct any mistakes. They won't just do that. They'll suggest ways that you can change it to make it better. And it doesn't matter if you're editing a film, or a piece of music, or a book. An editor's job is changing stuff and improving it. I have an editor. Uh, she has edited almost every single one of my books. Uh, she works at Faber, who publish all of my books. Her name is Alice Swan. And the way that we work is I will write a book. So I wrote draft one of Max and the Minions. When it was done, I said, I'm a genius. <laughs> I've written a perfect book. This could not possibly be improved, but go on. I was handing it into my editor anyway. She went through it and said, uh, these bits are good, well done. Uh, these bits are okay, you can make them better. These bits are terrible. <laughs> Get rid of them, Ross, do something good. <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, I wrote draft two. I did everything that she said. Sometimes I didn't, some things I'd be like, no, actually, I think it's better mine than your way. And I handed that in, and then she handed it back with more suggestions, and then... In total, we did it five times. I rewrote Max and the Millions from start to finish five times, and that is totally normal. People think that if you're a writer, uh, that's your job. It's because you're so good at writing that you write something down and it's just perfect. And it, it just doesn't work like that. I think that to be a writer, you've got to be really good and really brave 
uh, going back over stuff that we've done and found, find ways of improving. When I look at this, immediately my editor's hat goes on and I think, uh, this is a good start, I can see this is going to be really, really good. Um, but even things like, well, I mean, Prince Luke, look at that writing! He's a prince! He's super posh. He's going to use posh words. Uh, found. It works, it makes sense, but maybe think of a word that means found, but it's like, too fancy. Yes. Discovered. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I discovered you a gigantic, smooth volcano. Um, it has hats going on. Uh, we could say gigantic. Gigantic, smooth. For some reason, in my head, those words don't work very nicely in here. Um, anybody got a word that means gigantic, but it's just another way of saying it that we can play around with? We could also say, I hope you learned spoken much. Yes, it's Colossal. A colossal smooth volcano. Gigantic's good and it works. I actually quite like colossal. I think it's because, you know what I think it is? If you think about the sounds in that word, colossal, and then think of volcano, they've got the ooh and the off and the sounds. Colossal volcano sounds quite good saying it together. Uh, gigantic still works quite actually, it's like that. A colossal smooth volcano. Um, now we chose smooth. Because we're thinking about the fact it's made of metal and things like that. Um, but some of you might go, well, actually, rather than saying smooth, we just use a different word. It doesn't have to mean smooth. Uh, we could say a colossal tall volcano, a colossal, colossal hot volcano. Uh, here's what I'd like you to do I'm going to give you 30 seconds. First of all, I want to know what happens next. I don't want you to go, I found a volcano, but then I also found a fridge. I'd quite like you to continue with this toaster. Something is going to happen with this toaster. I want to know what it is. But when you're coming up with those ideas, I don't just want you to go, he falls inside. I'd like you to try and work out what he would say. So saying it in sort of his voice. Think of the fancy words that he'd use. Think of how he would describe what happens with this toaster. I'll give you 30 seconds. Go. <laughs> There's a bit missing here. 
because he's sort of approached this volcano. First of all, he's going to have to get all the way up to the top before he can fall in. So we do need to make sure there's something going on there. Uh, also, a couple of little things in this last bit. A popping thing. Now, to us, a toaster, when the toast comes out, it pops. It goes, beep, and we go, oh yeah, toast, jump. <laughs> to an sized person, that pop is going to be like, boom! <laughs> if you think about an ant in one hand, a slice of bread in the other, that slice of bread is going to be huge to him. <coughs> so I think, rather than saying popping thing, we need a much more dramatic word than popping. And also, in your writing, if you ever say the word stuff or the word thing, that is a clue that you, there's another word you can come up with. So, all of you put on your editing hats. Now, put them on. All of you. And here is what you're going to do. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Listen. We need to do two things. Number one, we need a sentence here describing him climbing the toaster. Don't just say, I climbed the toaster. We need it big, we need it dramatic. And I want us to think about how we can describe falling inside a toaster, making it big and scary and dramatic. 30 seconds, go. Treacherous 
mountains, so I wouldn't have gone for that if they hadn't said mountain. Uh, when I was slipping so much, I, I ventured up the treacherous mountainside. Uh, Ed has hats going on. We don't necessarily need all of these words. I ventured up the treacherous mountainside, comma, slipping so much, I almost fell to my death. Fell is good, if you got a, a fancy word for fall, maybe, uh, like much more drama. Uh, let's go with people who haven't spoken much. Yes, Boyd, there. Um, dropping. Oh, yeah, uh, so slipping so much, I almost dropped to my, fell to my death, dropped to my death. I quite like dropped because of the alliteration. Dropped to my death. That sounds really nice. Almost dropped to my death. Fell works, but I do like dropped. Let's do that. Uh, all right, and then last thing of all, colossal popping thing ain't gonna work. Somebody describe <coughs> this thing he discovers. Yes, what about? Um, exploding. Ah. Uh -huh. Then a terrible incident happened. I fell inside the. Um, the Brilliant. But you know what? I don't want to use colossal again because we used that word. Can you give me another word for colossal. Um, Ginormous, thank you. Uh, exploding, and we. Ooh, mm, actually, that is how you spell ginormous, that's just computer being wrong. Ginormous, exploding. But when we say thing, alright, let's try and imagine this from his point of view. You're an ant, you're looking at the hole that toast goes in. But think of how big that is to you. That's going to be bigger than this room going down inside. So we don't just say thing, we might as well be described from his point of view. Let's go if you've understood much. Yes. You're the one who earlier said popping thing, didn't you? Go, oh, I suppose we could describe it as a, as a crevice. <laughs> he thinks this is a volcano. Using a word that we use when we're describing mountains, a crevice, um, a crater, uh, an abyss, works brilliantly. Gin a canyon. Ginormous, I, I felt inside the ginormous exploding crevice. I think canyons can still be quite open. But a crevice goes down into the darkness. I like that. Crevasse! I'm going to pause there. So I misspelled crevasse. <laughs> I don't have to spell crevasse. I'm going to pause there. Hands down. We could keep going with this for ages and ages and ages. Hands down. Before we run out of time. So I just want to draw your attention to a few things. Number one. Was this perfect when we started writing it? No, it was not. Did we improve it by changing stuff? Yes. 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 This is writing. This is what I do every single day when I sit down and write. And people always forget that. This is such an important skill that you can show you can do. And it's actually very hard to do. This is why teachers give you work back. This is why they say, yeah, this is good. Like, you've got good stuff here. But I kind of think you can go over this and make it better. And you say, Oh, no. <laughs> I can't. It's perfect. How can you improve perfection? And it's a lie. Um, I understand why you feel that way. Because every time I get stuff back from Alice Swan telling you to improve it, my heart sinks. But if I didn't do that, and I'm, I'm not saying this lightly, the first version of Hats and the Millions was rubbish. Going back over it five times made it the book that it is now. Um, it's hard to do, but it's worth doing. Um, my advice to all of you today, for those people who are going, oh no, I wanted to keep writing this, that was done. I want to find out what happens next, I have all these ideas you didn't write Go home tonight and write them. Uh, I became a writer by, from 
I started in year two. I just go home in the evenings and write a story for fun. And writing is a skill like anything else. You'll only get good at football if you play at box. You'll only get good at an instrument if you play at box. You will only get good at writing if you take the time to sit down and write your ideas down. You don't have to make it perfect. You don't have to finish everything you start. But if you go home tonight and start writing, it's going to make a difference. In the meantime, how much time do we have? It's a one minute till 22. <laughs> really? <laughs> Six minutes? Yes. Maps? Yes? Uh, when I was your age, I didn't really get to meet authors. Um, you're really lucky you have something like this set up. But this isn't very common. Um, so, I'm going to give you six minutes to ask me questions. When I was your age, all I want to do is ask authors questions. Um, you could ask me about writing Maps and Millions. You could ask me about some of my other books you might have noticed at the beginning and were interested in. You can ask me about being a writer. You can ask me for tips. You can ask me about my personal life. I will answer almost anything. Um, I can't give you all of these in six minutes, but I'll try and be quick. Yes, it's quite back. I think you would be as good at a comedian as well. It's, it's not a question. <laughs> so the trick is, you try and reword it as a question. Go, I think you would be good as a comedian. What do you think of that? <laughs> um, I'm really flattered. Thank you. Uh, yeah, now I'm just moving on. Yes. Um, what is space? Spaceball? Oh, in fact, it's quite a nice opportunity to make. So, uh, you know what I was saying about like, going out tonight and writing something? Um, for those of you who don't always have a chance to just write something down the second that you get a chance, uh, number two tip for being a writer, carry a notebook around you wherever you go. I literally, I never leave without this. When I go to sleep, this is by my bed. When I leave the house, it's in my pocket. Because you will get ideas in the middle of nowhere. I normally get my ideas when I'm running for a bus. Space Tortoise began over five years ago. Here is a picture from my notebook. Uh, 19th of September 2013, I was walking around London and uh, there was a stall selling toy metal boats. The way the boats work is you light a candle, a little tea light, put it inside, and it goes underneath a little tank of water, uh, and then the water boils, becomes steam, the steam goes to pipes that then become exhaust pipes, and it pushes the boat forward. So it's like an actual moving boat with a candle. And I thought, that's cute. You know what would be even cuter? If there was a mouse in the boat, um, and I knew that there was something good there, but I didn't really know what it was. I didn't know like, why the mouse was doing it, I didn't know where the mouse was going, I didn't know why the mouse had a candle. But I thought, I'm going to make a note of this, because I think one day I can make a book out of it. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Years later, I came back to that, and I thought, oh, you know what, there's quite a lot of picture books about mice. You know, it'd be quite nice to do maybe a book about tortoises instead. And I sort of came up with this idea, okay, what if there's a uh, tortoise that lives in a bin in a park, uh, he's very lonely, and he thinks that stars are animals holding candles. So if he wants to make friends, he's going to have to go into space and find them. So then he makes himself an astronaut costume, he finds a rocket on the other side of the park. <laughs> so it's not a rocket, it's a cop tower, but he's a tortoise. So he's <laughs> Uh, and then he goes on an adventure all the way across the park. When he finally gets there, he realises it's not really a rocket. Uh, but he does find something else. Oh. All of that came from an idea that I wrote down really quickly five years ago. Um, it really is worth writing those down. Otherwise, I've seen it and gone, that's a good idea for a book. And I would have forgotten it. <laughs> it just happens. 
How much time have we got? Three minutes. Three minutes. I reckon two more questions for you shorter answers. Let's go with yes. How much money are your books? <laughs> uh, how much are they selling for today? Well, that's a good question, actually. So normally they're £6.99. Are they, is there a discount or anything like that? Yes, there's a 10% discount. Ooh. So, I guess. So less than £6.99. Less than £6.99. Not as high as that. £6.99. Yes, and in fact, I'm not sure which ones are on sale today. They'll definitely be copies of Maximum Minutes, that's been the one I've been talking about. Uh, I'm hoping that there might be copies of this book, uh, because it came out today. There might not be. Yes, there are. Uh, to explain what this book is, this is different. Normally I write picture books or novels. This is a book of short stories. It's a book of short Christmas stories. It's a book of short Christmas horror stories. If you like Christmas, but you like screaming yourself to sleep at night, <laughs> perfect combination. I know it's October. I'll sell us in the summer, I don't care. Uh, so, yes, go back. Why do you write in Roblox? A bit back. Why do you write in Why do I start to write books? I can remember, genuinely, I can remember being in year two and writing stories just for fun. Um, I think I've always done it because I love the idea of stories. I like uh, telling stories out loud. Um, there was a while where I wanted to make films. And really, if you're making films, you're still telling a story. You're just doing it in a different way. Um, and even when I couldn't be bothered to write down a story, I'd do a comic strip instead. Because you're still coming up with a beginning, a middle, and an end. You're still doing characters. I love comics. If some of you have great ideas for stories, but the idea of sitting down and writing them down in the evening is a bit of a drag, do a comic strip. Um, but the most important bit is bring the news <coughs> to school the next day. If you're feeling brave enough, show them to people. Let them read them. Because that is going to be the thing. When you start seeing how people respond to your stories and you get advice off of them, that changes everything. Yeah, I just like to make this stuff up. One more question? Or yeah, one more. One, a very quick one. I'll try a one word answer. <laughs> yes? What is your favourite book to read? People always ask this, and it's a really mean question. So it's like asking parents who's your favourite child. <laughs> and they're never going to say, I love them all, but John is my favourite. <laughs> um, I do love all of these books equally. I have to be honest, the one I have the most fun writing, because often when you're writing, you get to bits that are quite tricky. Um, the one I had the most fun writing was Christmas Dinner of Souls, because every single day I was just trying to work out, how do I scare a child? <laughs> how can I make them cry? And that is honestly a really good place to start. Um, thank you so much for listening to me today. Uh, as you go out, I've actually just been given a load of uh, free bookmarks, uh, so I'll be handing those out to you. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to me. Uh,